Broadcasting from USA Swimming's headquarters at the Carolyn Dirks Building in Colorado Springs, Colorado, it's time for Kick Set. Join three-time Olympian Elizabeth Beisel and U.S. National Team Director of Performance Matt Barbini as they host members from the USA Swimming community, ranging from age group to Olympic levels of the sport. Hello and welcome to the Kickset Podcast. My name is Matt Barvini. I am the National Team Director of Performance here at USA Swimming and joining me as always, fresh off of some absolutely insane NCAA swimming, is three-time Olympian, Elizabeth Basel. Basel, tell us what it was like on the deck for those two weeks. Um, I'm, I'm actually at a loss for words at how fast swimming has gotten and how Quickly, I feel like I have just become irrelevant. And like, <laughs> I used to think I was fast at one point. I'm no longer fast. Um, it was interesting. I think the the coolest thing for me was the social experiment between women's and men's. It was my first men's meet that I have ever been to. And um, when I get the women for an interview right after their race, they're really emotional for the most part. Um, a lot of them are almost on the verge of tears, just like so happy and overcome with excitement, emotion, all those things. Um, and then the men are the complete opposite. You know, they come up and I'm like the first night I was asking, how does this feel? What does this mean to you? Kind of similar questions that I was asking the women and it was not hitting. Um, so I had to kind of like pivot and change and, um, ask more technical questions, but it is a completely different meet. Um, it's a lot more intense with the men and almost quieter, subdued, uh, kind of like you don't want to look at anybody the wrong way. Whereas the women, it's all dancey and fun. Um, so it was really cool for me to witness uh, the men's meet for the first time. Both are obviously incredible in their own ways. Um, but yeah, and then Barbini, you're fresh off of a Fort Lauderdale meet during spring break. So how was that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Fort Lauderdale is a really cool place um, to visit, even in March. But yeah, we did overlap with spring break, which was an interesting kind of, like you said, social experiment um, to have a swim meet. But that facility, I hadn't been there since they had renovated it um, at the Hall of Fame. And it is incredible. Um, they are an amazing host. It has everything you could want in a uh, in a major meet. And the performances there were, uh, it felt like the season really kicked on. Yeah. At that one, you know, you, yeah. you get the January meet and then January meet was great, but it, it kind of, that's sort of the, the opening. Um, there were some times at this meet, um, that were pretty eye popping and it felt like, man, we're not that far away from some super fast swimming. And then to spend a couple of weeks watching NCAAs and feeling like even that took it to another level. Um, it feels like we are very much in it now. Um, it's not the preseason anymore. We are, we are very much in the, uh, in the season. Oh, for sure. And um, talking about performances at Fort Lauderdale, our guest, I think, was it the first world record that she ever broke? Maybe was it Fort Lauderdale? Correct me if I'm wrong, but Barbini, I'll let her, I'll let you embarrass her in the intro like you always do for our guests. <laughs> rattle off the extensive resume this incredible woman has. Yeah, we're actually not even going to interview her. I'm just going to spend the next 45 minutes reading her resume. You'll <laughs> need we'll, that much time, we'll just, honestly. We'll just hang it up. <laughs> no. Um, so our guest today is, uh, we are really honored to have Natalie Coughlin. Um, she is uh, a true legend in the sport. And I think we use that word a lot, but it applies to her um, maybe more than anybody else. Um, Three-time Olympian, 12-time Olympic medalist, um, and a current USA Swimming Board of Directors athlete rep. Um, 
and we could go on and on and on about her career accomplishments, but um, I think it's true legend status when you don't have to, when everybody pretty much knows uh, what the story is. So uh, Natalie, welcome. And I guess we'll start right where Basil left you off there. Um, Fort Lauderdale and a world record. You guys are two kinds. Yes, that was ages ago. Literally, it was 21 <laughs> years ago. Oh, God. Um, yeah, <clears throat> my first world record was at Fort Lauderdale Nationals. Um, and it was during, you know, one of those thunderstorms that happened there. And I just kept um, in the ready room, I kept telling myself because I had been so close to that world record multiple, multiple times. And in the ready room, I was like, tonight's the night, tonight's the night. And we kept getting delayed, kept getting pushed back because of thunder, lightning storms. Um, and finally, when I swam, um, hit the bottom of the pool because the old old facility was a little shallow. <laughs> so shallow. Um, yeah. But then I ended up, yeah, breaking a minute for the first time. And that was back when world records were never really broken. And um, so it was a really big deal. Like I got a standing ovation like for really, really long. And um, I have uh, great memories of that meet. And one of them being that um, Phelps and I both got swimmer of the meet. And I had that picture somewhere and we are babies. Like we are so, so young. Like I, you know, I mean, it's 20, 20 years ago. <laughs> um, but yeah, good memories in Fort Lauderdale. That's crazy. Um, I guess we'll work backwards and back to that moment, but we'll start off with, you've had an amazing post life, um, after swimming. Can you kind of update everybody on what you've been up to since retiring the sport, babies, wine, cookbooks, all of that good stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, first Barbini mentioned that I am a board of, um, directors athlete. So I've been on the board since 2016, which has been really rewarding just because I, I, I mean, like you guys, I love giving back to this sport. It's given me so much, so it's a nice way to stay in touch with you guys and, um, and kind of fulfill that need for volunteerism. Um, but yeah, I had two kids. I have a two and a four-year-old, uh, Zenny and Ozzy, and they keep me very busy. Um, they're insane uh, in the best way, but they're insane. Like I think toddlers are insane, but I, I think my kids take it up a little bit because they're just yeah very active. Um, my my daughter's on swim team, which is so great. Um, it's the cutest thing ever. Um, and my son's dying to be on it, but he. He's not really water safe yet, so we're working on that. Um, and then um, I started a winery with um, my friend and business partner, winemaker, um, called Gadarian Wines. It's based in Napa. Um, we specialize in old vine Chenin Blanc and Pinot Noir, um, but we've expanded to Cabernet Sauvignon, Chardonnay, um, Merlot, uh, a little bit of everything. And we've been building that brand little by little every year. And so I have a lot of plates spinning in the air, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I would get bored if I was only focusing on one thing. Speaking of plates, in the middle of all that, you also put out a cookbook. Can you tell us about a little bit about that and sort of where oh. that come from? You know, like, is that, has cooking always been kind of a, a passion of yours? Is that, is that a big piece of your uh, cooking to thrive? Is that right? Cook to thrive. Yeah. Cook yeah. to thrive. I actually have it right here. Like I Let's just ra randomly. Um, <laughs> yeah. So this, I, and actually when I did this shoot, I was pregnant with my daughter, but yeah. Um, 
yeah, I did this cookbook, Cook to Thrive. I wanted, I always wanted to write a cookbook because I'm just such a fan of cookbooks and cooking. And um, cooking was just such a part of my life. Like after a long day of training, um, that was my meditation, coming home and making a really good meal and feeding myself, feeding my husband, feeding my friends. Um, It was just such a, um, like an act of love. And um, yeah, it was just something that relaxed me from a long day. And Baisal, you could attest to this. Um, I traveled so much throughout the world. And when the one of the ways that you remember the places you've been is through the food that you eat have eaten. Um, so there are recipes in there from some of my travels when I was um, competing. Um, some of the recipes are when I was training, like the, the meals I would gravitate towards. And then the other meals are family recipes from my mom, grandma, and great grandma. And so it was a way for me to share stories um, from growing up and from my travels without writing a real memoir. So it was com- combining a couple couple of things. Um, my love of food and sharing some stories, but not not everything. Yeah. And you've also written a memoir, so we can just add that to the list as well. Um, I, I didn't write it. Someone else or you didn't it. write it, but <laughs> it's still great. I remember reading it and just like, obviously loving every minute of it. Um, I have like kind of a random question, but I've always wondered this. Where did the name Guderian wine come from? Is there like a story behind the word or meaning? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um, yeah, it means to gather in old English. And so when you drink wine, you drink it with friends and family around a table with food and um, to be perfectly honest, uh, wine is one of the oldest uh, businesses in the world. So you have to have a unique name and that's nearly impossible. Every name has been taken. Um, so we do have the trademark of Gadarian. We, we loved the name of it. Um, one of my favorite restaurants in Berkeley was always Gather. Um, so when we were coming up with the names, we were, I was playing around with different languages and different words that I liked. Um, and then when I found Gadarian, it's the old English word for together. And um, I, I loved it. And I was like, it sounds cool. It's a little different. I checked it out. No one had taken that name. And so we got the trademark and uh, we were off to the races. That's awesome. I've always wondered yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And because it's me and my business partner, we're, uh, you know, two women in winemaking, which is, you know, there's few of us, there's more and more. Um, but, um, yeah, we didn't want it to be like my last name or her last name or some, you know, um, combination of the two. And so we wanted a, a, a real word. And so when I found that I, we, we loved it. Um, I want to go back a little bit. We talked a little bit on your, um, uh, your role with the board, but, um, I'm always curious athletes coming into out of the pool into the dry side of the sport and the more administrative side what if anything has sort of surprised you from what you've learned by being on the board and then um you know how is that has that experience do you think you had has it changed at all how you look back on your career like the sort of the like stuff around it and this how the way the sport has changed uh um, in the years since you've <laughs> yes, yes, not and sorry to interrupt you, but yes, no, completely. I didn't know anything about governance. Like I knew it existed, but that's about it. Um I I never knew anything about the dry side of the sport. Like I knew 
what you did, Barbini, and like the executive staff, but I didn't really know like how everything works. And um, after um, trials in 16, um, Lindsay Mantenko called me and she's like, hey, do you want to be the um, U.S., at the time it was USOC, um, Athlete Advisory Council rep? And um, I'm one of those people that kind of says yes to everything. Um, and so I was like, yes, I have no idea what that means. And Peter Vanderkay was my predecessor. And he didn't really, <laughs> he kind of tricked me into this role. Um, he didn't really give me the entire, um, like what it all entails. And so I was in my AAC role with the um, Olympic Committee, now the Olympic and Paralympic Committee. Um, but then because of that, I was on all these other boards. Um, so I was sitting on the USA Swimming Board of Directors and I was on what was then called the Athlete Executive Committee. I was on all these boards, it's a lot of time. <laughs> And, but I, but I learned so much about the sport and, um, and then through that, I've actually run for the board twice um, and we've restructured and all that, but that's all boring stuff. But um, it's, it's really interesting to see how much thought goes in from um, the CEO to the executive staff to into everything, not, not just the national team, but to the grassroots side of the sport um constantly trying to grow our sport make it more fun make it more inviting um have um, a more diverse base like it, it's it's been really fulfilling for me to be a part of that and i've learned so much it's hard to just pick one thing because i've learned so much about this sport yeah and when you talk about like transitioning into the governance side of sport i want to ask about kind of the mental health side of finding a new identity from being an athlete and a three-time Olympian to, okay, who is Natalie Coughlin now? And can you talk about that transition from going to a team until to like, what, what do I do? You know, it's, it, it's hard. It's so hard. And I knew this was coming. Um, like I, I remember my first national team was again, I'm old. Uh, 1999. Um, and it was Pan Pax. And I remember so many people knowing that we were going into the Olympic year and talking about post-Olympic depression. Like I remember um, Christina Teuscher, like I, she was like really talking about, yeah, after the Olympics, a lot of people go through this post-Olympic depression. And, you know, I was like, I just turned 17 at that meet. So I was like, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Why would you be depressed after the Olympics? That's silly. Um, and uh, yeah. And so like, I always knew it existed and I had heard so many uh, other athletes talk about it. And so I went through my college years. Um, my senior year of eligibility was 2004. So then I transitioned into the pro side of things. Um, and I competed through 2016 and, you know, I was around my teammates and my coaches and I just loved I loved the daily grind of everything. I, I loved joking in the weight room with my teammates. I loved those moments before you get into practice and you're just talking trash and just having just so much fun with one another and those little moments in between sets and um, the time in the locker room after practice. Um, and those are the things that you really take for granted. And even though I knew it was going to be taken away. And even though I felt like I was very present in the moment, 
enjoying it and, and being grateful that I was there. Um, once it was gone, it, it is a, such a shock to you. And, and going back to writing my book, um, so I went from being done with, with swimming and, or, you know, the, the level that I was competing at, um, at the end of 2016. And then I immediately went into, um, writing my cookbook, which was a long arduous process of recipe testing and, and actually writing. And so I went from being around, you know, 50 people between, um, my coaches and teammates, um, to no one. And, I am such an introvert <laughs> and I was really craving that, like that social aspect of it. Um, I was, I remember I was having full on conversations with my dogs because I was like losing my mind. <laughs> I was having a really hard time. Um, and so it, it's, it's a tough transition for all of us, even when you know it's coming, it's a tough transition. Um, and I know Lindsay Mantenko and the executive staff there, really focused on strengthening our mental health resources, um, talking about it more and more, taking any sort of stigma away from getting help if you need it, um, and, and really putting it in the forefront and, and, and helping people um, attack it before it becomes an issue. I think a piece of that as well has been, there's been a, a significant increase in your piece of this, of athlete representation at the sort of decision-making level, both inside and outside of the organization and on all of these committees. Have you sort of noticed that growth in the time that you've been involved on the dry side, that, that athletes are sort of more involved on the, on that, um, informational and decision-making side? Yeah, I, de I definitely think so. It's been a lot of work just recruiting the athletes to participate. And it's not because they don't want to, it's because of the same thing that I went through where I didn't even know that governance piece really existed. I didn't know what it was. Um, I was always someone who, if you asked me to volunteer for something, if I can make it work, yes, I would say yes. And I think so many athletes were in the same boat, but they, but there was a communication divide of, getting the, the right athletes into those roles um, who, who wanted to be there and who wanted to give back. Um, but yeah, USA Swimming has done a really good job for a long time of, of hearing the athlete voice. But in the last, I'd say five-ish years or so, there's been even more of a push to make sure that we have equal representation on every level. Um, and that, that's huge. Um, to pivot a little bit to the Olympics and performing at the Olympics, I, I love asking athletes that are so clutch like you, you know, like no matter the pressure you were showing up and especially in 2008, heading into the Olympic games with so much weight on your shoulders. Do you remember how you were preparing for that mentally? Does anything stick out to you from the preparation from trials to the Olympics and then actually being at the Olympics? Yeah, um, I took a lot of what I learned from 2004 into 2008. Um, no, like, so part of it was as soon as trials was done, I got home for a couple of days just to decompress because it is such an emotional roller coaster. You, you both know this Olympic trials is brutal. Like even if you're successful, it's brutal. If you're not successful, it's brutal. It is 
so fun, but it is draining. So I got home and I took a couple days of downtime, you know, I was in the water, of course, um, but a couple days of downtime to physically recover, emotionally recover. And then I remember coming to, to camp at, at Stanford um, and I had qualified for the 2IM, the 100 back and 100 free. And I was just looking at the schedule and the way those events work, it's very front loaded and um, with the relays. And I was just like, there's no way I could do all these events. I'm going to drop either the four by two relay or the 200 IM. And, um, and Sh Schubert and Terry were like, no, you're doing all six. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so I like, I had, cause I, I really had no experience in the 200 IM. It was like a miracle that I even made that event. Um, and um, so then going, going into that game. So I was like, all right, I mapped out my, my events, prelims, semifinals, finals, included the relays and everything, and really just took it one, one session at a time. Um, you cannot look a day ahead. You cannot look a session ahead. You have to look at, at one session at a time. And I remember after getting that bronze uh, medal in the tuner I am, someone was like, hey, you're on track to get six medals at this. And that thought did never even like occurred to me that that was possible or, or, and it wasn't that I didn't think I was capable of it. I was so focused on that one session at a time that I didn't look, look ahead enough to even think about a metal, metal count. Um, so that's really huge when you're in an eight session or an eight day meet with multiple sessions. Um, you really need to take it one piece at a time. Did you, when you were approaching that at the trials level, was it the same? Were you like, I just get through this first event on day one, get through this next event on day two? Or did you go into that sort of like, I would like to tick these boxes as we like <clears throat> broadly? Yeah, trials is a little different, especially in 2008. Um, like I was really strong in my events, you know, like I was really strong in 100 free and 100 back and um, the 200 IM, 100 fly. And, and so I, I kind of looked at those events and it doesn't, it, it, in my mind, it didn't matter if I got first or second in either one of those. I just needed to do that. It, you don't have, like you have to, it, it's, it's a hard thing to describe. You have to perform at your best because trials are so tough, but, um, it's not the same as the Olympics. Like the Olympics, you, you kind of take your schedule for granted a little bit more, or you, you you kind of, you can plan out your schedule a lot differently than at trials. Because at trials, once you make the team, the pressure of getting your ticket to Beijing or London or wherever, um, Paris <laughs> coming up, um, that it, you get that pressure off and then it becomes a very different beast. Um, it, it's, it's difficult to explain if you haven't been in that situation, but the mental prep going into trials, especially in 04 and 08 was just very different than the mental prep going into the Olympics. Um, when you talk about the pressure becoming a different beast from trials to the Olympics for you winning a gold medal in 04 in the hundred back. And then looking to defend that in Beijing, which you did, how much energy and like thought 
what and pressure went into doing it again, winning a gold again? Was that, I mean, it's, I knew it was obviously on your mind, but how much are you actually thinking about it? In some ways it was easier in Beijing. And in some ways it was a million times harder. Like it's, it's really difficult to explain. Like in, in Athens, I remember, um, you know, the talking heads saying like, oh, she had like such an amazing college career, but um, you're not really ratified in the sport until you get that Olympic gold. And I remember having like these thoughts um, and like little like sound bites that I heard other people say, like rattling in your head. And so when I got that gold medal in the Hunter Bat, I just felt such a sense of relief that I was like, yes, I achieved what I'm capable of doing, what I knew I could do. Um, But I wasn't the defending gold medalist coming into that race. Um, And so going to Beijing, I was the defending gold medalist. I had broken um, the world world record a couple times that year, um, once in like a pro swim, it was called Grand Prix at the time. And then I think once at trials, um, I think, I think that was it. Um, and so being the defending gold medalist, you have everyone like trying to knock you off that pedestal and you have your own expectations and then the expectations of, um, you know, the audience. And so it's, it was a different thing. And, um, I just remember knowing like going through the race in my mind, like visualizing every aspect of it throughout the entire day. Um, and I remember performing in that race, seeing that I actually had won. Uh, and then just this over overwhelming sense of relief. And I have never been someone who has cried after a race, good or bad, like ever. And I lost it in Beijing. Like I, I like, completely lost it I was like crying and like blubbering for so long and <laughs> Baisley you know me I'm not very emotional like that and it, no, it, was I know. Just, it, it was like it was so embarrassing like I started crying because I was crying because I was just so embarrassed but it just represented so many years of working towards a goal and actually achieving it and just that overwhelming sense of relief um so really special moment so coming off of something like that, that triggers an emotional response that you don't even normally have. And then, so the Olympic games are over, but you're planning to keep going through the next Olympics. Like, how did you, mm-hmm. how did you take that step and be like, okay, well that's now done. Like, what was your, did you take some time? Did you, uh, a lot of time. <laughs> a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. I a lot yeah. So of what time. was that process? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, after between Athens and Beijing, um, I, you know, I'd won 11 medals in 11 events and um, two individual golds. And I, you know, I was, I didn't need to continue to compete. I, I, you know, for any reason other than I just loved it. Um, But I I needed some time off. Like I needed some time to not be in training six days a week, 50 weeks out of the year. Um, I, I wanted to travel and I got married and um, I did dancing with the stars and I just, I just took time for myself to, um, you know, just enjoy the success for a little bit and, and just take a moment. And um, that was really, really important. And so 
I got back into the water, I remember January of 2010. And the way that I did that was I did some surf uh, life-saving in Australia with one of my very best friends, Mika Bird and Shaw, um, and did some like open water training. And, and that was kind of how I, you know, no pun intended, dip my toe back in the water. And then again, was off to the races focused on um, London. Um, so it, I, I took the time that I needed mentally and physically, and then I got back at it. It's so refreshing to hear that because I feel like as swimmers and athletes, if we know that we're going to go to the next Olympics or at least have the idea of it, it's like, oh, the Olympics are over. I'm going to do a two-week media tour and then like better get back to training and it's like, I feel like we're getting a little bit better now, but I mean, even now, especially when you and I were swimming, it was like, oh, you missed one practice this week. Well, consider your season over. So right. it's, it's yeah. just so refreshing to hear you say that. And I hope whoever is listening to this is like, oh yeah, maybe I should do that. And I should, for my <laughs> right. own mental health, physical health, whatever, um, but this right. is no wonder people had like mental problems. If like, you like think that right. if I'm not training 30 hours a week, I'm done. Like <laughs> there's that coaching cliche that they're like, Oh, it's not every four years. It's every day for four years. And it's like, it cannot possibly be every single day. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's impossible. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, okay. Nat it's, we're filming this in March for those who are listening. Um, and it's women's history month. Is there any woman that inspired you to get into the pool during your career, um, even post-career after swimming that um, has made like a really, really strong impact on you? Um, well, the three people that I looked up to the most, like as a kid were Summer Sanders, Janet Evans, and Jenny Thompson. Like I've, like those were my favorite, like, especially Summer, like she was from California, you know, she's from Sacramento, just like outside of where I grew up um, in Vallejo. And, um, I, you know, even though I'm a Cal bear through and through, I remember going to Stanford swim camp and I met her and I was like, so exciting. I had a picture with her. Um, I wore like to death this shirt. It was like a speedo sweatshirt or speedo t-shirt. It was like all neon. Cause it's very early nineties. And, uh, it was a picture of summer and it was like, it's summertime. And I wore the death out of this shirt. It, it was like all like those like weird geometrical shapes and like neon and just crazy. Um, so I looked up to her and, and Janet and, and Jenny, like so, so much, and they've become friends and it's just weird and wonderful. Um, like I remember, uh, Summer and I, at one point, we were doing something for Speedo in New York, um, New York City. And um, one of our meetings got pushed. And so she and I went shopping and we went out to lunch. And um, when she took me on my first subway <laughs> ride, and I was like, oh my God, the 11 year old me is dying right now, like dying that I'm like hanging out with my idol. Um, so really, really cool that we've had so many cool people in this sport to, for little girls and little boys to look up to. You touched on it a little bit before with the pre and post practice banter and things like that. But when you, um, cause you're still sort of involved in the sport, but obviously not in the water. Um, what do you miss about like the part of the sport that you're not a part of anymore? And then alongside that, what don't you miss? I miss so, so, so much the times in the weight room. Like I had 
like a blast. Um, I love training. Like I was someone who I, especially as I got older, I loved training. And I mean, I still love training. I pretend like I'm still an athlete. I'm not training for anything, but I get in the gym every day <laughs> and it's like, I have dreams all the time that I'm like, oh, I'm going to go swim here. I don't I have no desire to compete ever. Like, again, I got that out of my system, but I do love the daily routine of everything. Um, and yeah, I loved like one of the practices I love the most was our speed days. And um, Dave, it, it was with um, it was when I was training with the men and it would be like little bursts of speed, um, like 15 meters or 20 meters and um, Dave would have like nicknames for everybody and it was so fun. Like it was just such a fun workout. And, um, because I was swimming against the men, I, I won very few times, but when I won, everyone was so proud of me, myself included. Um, and so like, it was just, it was just a great atmosphere. And I miss that. What I don't miss is being cold for the, my entire life. Like I, it's so, it's so funny because everyone that knows me knows how much I hated being cold. I was cold all day, every day. I hated getting in the water. Um, and it's hilarious because now I own a cold plunge and I do that for like health purposes, but that's like three minutes and I'm in and out and dry, but God here in Northern California, especially right now, it is pouring, it is freezing outside. And the thought of getting into a suit, um, if I don't have to, <laughs> it's just, it's hard. <laughs> so okay, I, I totally appreciated that interview, Beisel, from last week. Um, <laughs> Yousef's interview was Yousef. so raw and genuine. Well, on that note, Nat, okay, what does it take to get you in a pool now? Um, so I just signed <laughs> up for the Trans Tahoe relay. Um, okay, yeah, oh, that's cold. It's, cold. it's gonna be cold this year because it's like not never gonna stop snowing. Like I feel like summer's not even ever gonna come. Um, so I, I, I try to get in the, in the water once a week. Um, but I like to run. I like to, um, I've gotten into rucking recently, which is like hiking with weight on your back. Um, and I lift a lot. I'd like to listen to like my podcasts and audiobooks. Um, so I have hard, have a hard time prying myself away from that, but, um, as we're getting into the summer, my goal is to swim at least once a week and then as Trans Tahoe comes up, I'm going to have to start something a little bit more than that. Um, it's, you know, it's not a serious event, but it is 30 minutes. Um, and I can't turn off the competitiveness in me. I can't just, I, I like, I, I will say I'll go into a race and be like, oh, I'm not taking it that seriously. And then it starts and then I'm sprinting from the beginning. Like I can't turn that off. <laughs> This is a much uh, a much more positive view of swimming than our last guest, Katie Hoff, when we asked her that question. It was basically like, I hate swimming and I'll never do it again. <laughs> like, I will never get in again. <laughs> oh my God. Well, yeah. I mean, she she and I trained a little differently. So I could I could uh, appreciate her answer. Um, if I was doing what she was doing, I would say the same thing. I did a lot of fun like sprinting. Like and trust me, like I there, there were like those lactate workouts that I love to hate. I actually grew to really love them at, at the very end where it was just like six, five or six really big efforts where you suit up, have a ton of time in between where you like vomit afterwards because there's just so much lactic acid going through you. I grew to love those, but they were so painful, um, but not the same type of endurance pain that Katie goes through. And you know what? She's training for marathons. Like she should just, I Shut know. up because she's doing it ridiculous. in a, on land. Yeah. 
she's got she's got enough yeah yeah wait now i wanted to ask quickly um before uh matt we go into social kick but how was your like brief stint at isl for dc trident like how cool was it to get back into racing so fun so again like i i felt like i was kind of like hoodwinked or something like caitlin sandino was like hey all you have to do is a 50 back. And I was like, I could do a 50 back. And it was so fun. Cause I, at the time when she asked me, like my daughter was like six months old and still so out of shape from having a baby. And I was like, that'd be really fun. Travel a little bit. It, it would be like that carrot to get me back into the pool and start training again. Um, I didn't train the way I probably should have. Cause I didn't have childcare. Like I didn't have any, like I didn't have a nanny or anything. I feel like I would do better today than I did a few years back because I'm actually like lifting and doing speed work and all the things that um, made me successful before. But it was weird. Like it was weird putting on a race suit after so many years. Um, I remember calling Dave um, Durden uh, a few weeks before my first race. And I was like, hey, I need to come to Cal and I need to practice my backstroke starts. And Thank God no one was around when I did my first one. Like I thought like I broke my shoulder and back like at the same time. Like it was so, oh my God, so uncomfortable. Well, and, and they so had the wedge, awkward. I'm sure, which you yeah. would never okay, use before. I had a wedge. Oh my God. You're like the 20th person to say that. I had a red wedge in, in London or it, at, at that time, London had wedges. Or no, sorry. No, no it didn't. But I, no, yeah. no. Okay. But I still competed through 16, remember? Were there wedges right. in 16? Yeah, there were wedges yeah. in 16. Yeah. Oh, geez. See, now I'm dating myself. I have no idea. Yeah. yeah. No. So I, I raced with wedges. I hated oh, okay. them because okay. I worked my butt off to learn how to go off of a flat wall. And then I was like, this is just taking out all those hours of yep. work that I learned how to go off of the slippery <laughs> yep. wall. Not fair. But anyways, whatever. I'm only 5'8", so I'm not the size of Matt Grievers. So I get it. Yeah. But um, but anyway, yeah. So I had used to wedge. So many of the teammates on ISL are like, have you ever used a wedge before? I'm like, oh my God, yes, I have used a wedge. Like I'm not a fossil. Like (laughs) (laughs) but anyway, um it was weird getting in a swim in a race suit again. It was weird being in a ready room. Um Cindy made me do a a relay, which was so stupid. I was like, (laughs) I can't do a hundred. It's like that's (laughs) not what I trained for. You guys needed to tell me this a few months ago. I would have like changed things up a little bit in my training, but um it was fun. Like I got to hang out with Maddie Kennedy, like one of my absolute best friends. Um, see a lot of people I hadn't seen. Um, so it was it was really, really fun. And I'm um glad that I was able to experience that. That's awesome. I'm I'm glad you had that too. <laughs> I remember that meet. I remember the meet in Indy seeing you there and be like, oh hey. And you're like, can you please film a backstroke start? <laughs> I, I was like, yeah, sure. Let's <laughs> please. And, like it was fun. Oh my God. <laughs> I asked you, I mean, I remember before that I like asked you guys to send me like like video of my my backstroke starts because I was like, I need yeah. to remember how to do this. <laughs> See, that is <laughs> Nat, that's actually something that I would love to do, except my only option is a 400 I am. So I think it's a good idea. And right. then I'm like, Never mind. <laughs> That's the worst event in swimming. Like I know yeah, people I'm not like, have, do that. have debates like what's the hardest, the mile or the 200 flat. It's like no, hands down 400 IM. If you do it right, the 400 IM is hands yeah. down the hardest event. It's, so Yeah, so I'm I'm living vicariously through you having that experience because I too think like, oh, what would it be like to put on a racing suit again? Like it's kind of weird. 
Like, no, I know. I think think because of NC2As, I've been having so many dreams recently of like being at a meet and and, like competing again. And I'm like, I miss everything but the actual competing parts. Yeah, I got that out of my system. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) fair enough. Fair enough. Same, same. Faisal's pulling a little bit of a Katie Hoff here, though, because she's like, oh, I don't know if I could do a 4 a.m. You swam to an island. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I could do it. It just would not be impressive or fast at all. Like, short story, I did a um, practice with Ledecky at Florida, or or, I'm sorry, at NC2As for when she was there. And um, I only did half of it mostly because I didn't have time, but also I was like, thank God I don't have enough time because I'd die. But, um, she texted me after and she was like, wow, Baza, like you really still got it. You did great. And I was like, now I know you're lying. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like you were just, and it was that humble reminder of like, sometimes I have that tinge of man, I really do miss it. Like you nap. But yeah. then I'm like, nah, there's no way. <laughs> yeah I just miss the training part like that's yeah. like if, if I could just train all day every day that would be so great but yeah, there's no time, I agree. time for that <laughs> nice um all right so we have our our final little segment here um it's called social kick and these are questions that come from our social media feeds um specifically okay. for you these are some really good ones I um I'm gonna start with the one that's on here last because I think it's the best question um this is from Jack J who is on your Mount Rushmore of best college swimmers of all time and I think what does Mount Rushmore have four so yeah Mm, it, okay Mount okay thank you for clarifying um <laughs> uh Mar- well I mean after this past weekend I have to put Marchand is am I pronouncing his name right is that how you say it yeah yeah so, Marchand yeah. okay okay yeah. my kids are screaming the whole time so I didn't really get to listen too much <laughs> they were quiet down by during your interviews but that was about it um yeah so he would be up there um who else would I put up there? Great. I mean, it's hard to qualify. Like, are we talking about like the diversity of races or someone who's so dominant? Um, I'd have to go back to someone my era, Anthony Irvin. Like, he would win his freestyle races by an insane amount. Um, so I'm gonna throw him up there um for sprint free. Um, and then Let's see, who else would I put up there? Um, God, there have been, uh, this is so hard to choose someone. Um, another person who was just so clutched, like at every time was Tara Kirk. Like she won breaststroke, um, I, I think like every single time she raced. Um, she was, again, my era. So two people from my era and then one person present day. But I mean, it's that's impossible for me to choose. Yeah, it's a it's a tough question, but that's a very tough question. Still a good one. Um, okay, Basil, I think this question might have been for you, so we'll we'll have you both answer this one. Somebody uh, made this a is mistake. From, yeah, this is from <laughs> Kyle. We're looking at you, buddy. Um, this is from John B. Um, what is the worst thing you can do in a four hundred IM other than DQ? <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say DQ, like swim that <laughs> whole way for nothing. Um, yeah. I mean, the the I think, nah, you've obviously swam the 400 IM before. Like, I think. Just oh, yeah, that, I did it a lot. <laughs> yeah, that last 100 free. I mean, if you like really take it out and it crashes, that's probably the worst feeling in the world. 
Yeah. Um, that was, I mean, that was my best event in high school. Um, and I remember one time I like legitimately blacked out like during the backstroke and I did it at the, yeah, that's way too early. <laughs> I know. Well, I would take it out fast. You like, did, like I swam it like an idiot. Um, I, I like, and it was one of those meets where my coach maybe do like three events a day, you know? Yeah. Um, and I remember <laughs> I did my 150 flip to go into backstroke and I was like, no, it's breaststroke. So then I like did a breaststroke pull out and I was like, no, it really is. Underwater ever didn't even get caught. And, um, I was like, that was the stupidest race. I've ever done. <laughs> Wait, you know, I was done that before at nationals. I think Tyler Clary did it. And then you just, Matt, he did the same yeah. thing you did. He was like, black out. You're like, what am I doing? And he did like a full 360 because he was like, backstroke, no backstroke, no backstroke. <laughs> and he didn't get deeped for it. Like he made it through. Uh, I've done it. That's the worst. It's only cheating if you get caught. There you uh, go. All right. This one's a little bit easier. What is your favorite vacation spot? That's from Juan L. Mm, Kauai, Kauai, Hawaii. Um, I have a ton of family there. I grew up visiting them and like practically living with them in the summers. Um, so Kauai and specifically my favorite beach, um, on in Kauai is, uh, Queens Pond in Pulley Holly. Nice. There you go. One very specific answer for that one. Um, all right, we're going to jump to the, uh, the food side from Glenn S best pairing with salmon. Ooh, um, best pairing with salmon. Well, this is going to be a little shocking. Um, I like, um, I do this brown sugar smoked salmon. It's like a hot smoked salmon. And I actually pair that with a Pinot Noir, um, which is unusual to pair like a red with, with, um, a salmon, but, um, our Guderian Pinot Noir is light enough to, to do that. <laughs> and, um, it like when you smoke the salmon on like a cedar plank, it kind of takes that like baking spice um, like out of the, the Pinot that we have. Um, we have a lot of like baking spice and, um, <laughs> aromas. And so it matches beautifully. That is a great answer. All right. Last one. And this one is just a, a really nice question for you from Garner M. How is your day going? <laughs> great. Other than me choking over here, like I'm like <laughs> yeah. starting to get allergies and I get like a dry cough. Um, my day is going great. I like was really looking forward to speaking to you both. Um, like it's, it, it's so like, I, I, I love seeing people from swimming and from my swimming life and having an excuse to talk to you guys and run into you, whether it's a board meeting or a meet or whatever, it makes my day. So I was really excited about that. Natalie, the, the pleasure was all ours. Thank yeah, you so much. Seriously. <laughs> Thanks again to Natalie. That was as you would expect from one of the most polished and uh, well-spoken athletes we've ever had uh, an awesome conversation. I appreciate so much talking to her, just her, her passion for swimming, but also her diversity of interest outside of it. I think she's got this rare combination of somebody who's like, I loved swimming. I loved training. I loved everything about it. I also really like wine and cooking and I have two kids and like, I just love that like balance she seems to have. Yeah. She's, she's like a modern day Renaissance woman. Like truly anything she touches is amazing. And it's so cool for me. Like in the podcast, she was talking about full circle moments and being friends with summer Sanders now and having that t-shirt with summer on it. 
that was Natalie for me. So, I mean, I had posters of Nat in my room. Like I wanted to be a speedo athlete because of Nat. So even for me, like I always have these amazing moments where it's like, wow, like Natalie Coughlin is now being interviewed by me. This is very weird, but also amazing. (laughs) She's just like, like you said, Barbini, such a legend in the sport. And it doesn't matter what era or generation you're from in the sport. Like, you know, Natalie Coughlin, like that is a name that is a staple. And it's what an honor for her to come on this show and be such an ambassador for the sport. And we asked the question about the, the Mount Rushmore from, uh, from Jack and she is on the Mount Rushmore, obviously. I mean, the things that she did in her college swimming, I know nobody would ever probably put themselves on there, but like She's yeah. right there with everybody else. Oh, 100 um, percent I wanted to be like, Natalie, you yeah, are me on too. I, know. <laughs> I think we embarrassed them enough at the beginning. We don't want to like force fair them. Enough, fair enough, fair enough. And like all too. swimmers are so humble, uh, like they'll never say their name. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. It's it, but... that is yeah, nobody's gonna say it, but she very much deserves that spot. Yeah. Um, speaking of fast swimming, we are heading into it now. Um the, the season is, like I said at the beginning, very much on. Um, coming up, we have Tier Pro Swim in Westmont um, in the second weekend in April. Then Open Water Nationals, which is a part of our uh, World Championship Selection Procedure, which um, is a little bit complicated this year in Open Water. But um, you guys should definitely check out how you make those teams. Open Water is maybe my favorite part of the job. So, and open water nationals is one of my most favorite events. So, um, definitely clue into that. And then, um, on the dry side, we have our USA swimming workshop, um, coming up towards the end of April. Um, so this month is absolutely packed full of fun events. Um, Basil in your life, what, uh, what's coming up for you? You got anything exciting on the books? I actually do. The month of April is going to be like pure bliss for me. I'm going to the DR to surf for two weeks and I'm going to the Maldives for two weeks to surf. So (laughs) yeah, this, the entire month of April was dedicated to just surfing for me. So it'll be awesome. I'll be following along all of those events, especially open water nationals. Like that's something that I wished I had gotten into while I was still actively swimming, Um, just because I love the ocean and I feel like I'm a distance swimmer, but everybody should be checking out how the selection procedure works and, you know, who the up and comers are, because it's such a huge part of USA swimming and who we are, but yeah, I'll be following around, uh, around. Don't worry. You can do a casual little 10 K out there in the DR, just in solidarity with the, uh, the open water. I'll say I'll do it, Barbini, but we'll we'll see if I really do. See that Garmin results. Yeah, I'll I'll report back on my Strava. Immediately. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Basil, thank you as always. Um, everybody listening, thank you. Uh, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for more info on all of these events that we just mentioned. And then please, of course, Rate, subscribe, smash all the buttons on our episode pages. Um, Basil, have a great month surfing. We will all be jealously here on land. Uh, but you have some fun we'll stuff coming up we too. We do have some yes. fun stuff coming up, yeah. We will talk soon, Barbini. Cool. Thank you as always. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to KickSack with USA Swimming. Head to usaswimming.org for more episodes and make sure you subscribe to KickSack wherever you get your podcasts.